How's it going, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Hunting Public Podcast powered by Dakota Lithium. We've been using Dakota Lithium products to stay powered up when we're on the road for the last couple years now. And the products that we're using specifically for our mobile power are the PowerBox 10 and the PowerBox 135. The PowerBox 10 is great for charging things like cell phones or GoPros, but we use the PowerBox 135 because we can charge everything that we need for a long period of time, even charging our computers. That way we can edit while we're at camp and stuff like that has been a total game changer for us. So whether you're trying to work remotely or you're just trying to keep your cell phone charged, check out the Dakota Lithium PowerBox options and hopefully it'll change the game for you as well. In this episode, I'm going to be talking with Josh Soholt about bow tuning and the benefits of being able to work on your own bow. We also tell some hunting stories and just talk about how important it is to find your own hunting style and how much more fun that can make hunting. If you guys haven't checked out our new podcast channel on YouTube, I've started recording all of these podcasts as a video version as well and been posting them to that channel. So if you want to check that out, you can check the description of this podcast. I'll have a link down there. And on the version of this podcast that I posted on YouTube, I have a segment at the beginning of that video where Josh is helping my girlfriend Whitney set up her first ever compound bow. I'm not going to include that in this episode just because I feel like it'll be a little bit harder to understand if you can't see what's going on, but I think there's some really cool tips for beginner archers in that segment, and there's some pretty funny stories from when Josh owned an archery shop. Josh and I also talk about how him and his buddy Tyler started an online bow tuning school. If you check the link in the description of this podcast, you'll also find a link to the Bowtune School. And if you use the code THP10, you can save 10% off of your subscription to Bowtune School. Also, in celebration of their eighth year anniversary, Exodus is offering exclusive savings to help celebrate the milestone. As of right now, you'll save 25% off the entire Exodus website. All you got to do is use the code THP at checkout to unlock your savings. But you'll have to act fast because Exodus will only be offering these savings for the first 300 Exodus renders and the first 300 rivals. But the good news is, is even if you miss out on those specific cameras, you can still lock in the 25% off the entire site until June 12th while supplies last. And if you've ever been on the fence about buying Exodus products, I think it's really important to remember that you'll always be backed by the five year no BS warranty, meaning that they stand behind their products for the long haul. On top of that, they offer a five year theft and damage coverage, providing you with peace of mind. They've also got some of the best customer service, so if any issues come up, they'll be able to help you out. And you may know Exodus products for their trail cameras, but they're also making a hunting arrow right now. These arrows are built to your specs through their online builder. Right now, you'll be able to save up to $70 on a dozen of these arrows, which is the Exodus MMT arrow. So if you want to take advantage of this awesome eight-year anniversary sale, go over to exodusoutdoorgear.com and be sure to take advantage of some of the very best savings of the year while supplies last. You can also check out the description of this podcast and I'll put a link down there as well that will take you to their website. By using that code THP, you're directly supporting the show and our friends at Exodus. And both THP and Exodus appreciate your support. Before we get into the episode, I wanted to remind you guys that we have partnered with the social platform Go Wild to combat mainstream social media's censorship. Go Wild is a free social community where not only are your photos not censored, they're encouraged. 
Go Wild gives you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. And as you earn points, you unlock awesome rewards too, such as gift cards, free swag, knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex, and if you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. Then you can use that $10 on the Go Wild store, which has a bunch of our favorite products that we use when we're out hunting. And while you're on the store, if you want to save an additional 10% on orders, you can use the code THP at checkout. All you got to do is visit downloadgowild.com to get started. I never know how to start. So yeah. other than what's up, everybody? Sitting here with Josh Soholt and... I guess we're going to just start rolling here. We don't, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, we don't really have much of an agenda as always, but uh, today Whitney and I came here to have Josh be our bo- official bow tech and get us kind of set up on some things. I had to get a new string. Whitney needed set up with a bow, and yeah, it's been just also a really great excuse to hang out. Right. Yeah, great to have you, this podcast. have you up to the house and get Whitney going and... Get you a new set of strings to break in. That's been that was great. Yeah, we made a lot of progress in a couple hours. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Whitney's officially shot a compound bow now. Yep. So brought another archer into the cut. Yes. So, yeah. Yes, and hopefully, good. hopefully another bow hunter here at some point. Whitney may have a, you know, a tag here in the future. So that'd be kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. That's exciting for me. Yeah. I mean, so. it's too bad she doesn't have some experienced people around her to help her into the sport. <laughs> but you know. Good luck to her. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So I guess I am curious to know how you got into hunting and then also how that ultimately led to how you became a bow tech. Because I feel like, I guess for a lot of us that bow hunt, it's something that we consider to like make our passion and our hobby Mm-hmm. A job and yeah. like kind of that process and just like about you for those listening that maybe don't know yeah yeah so uh you know i i grew up uh in south dakota and was fortunate enough to have my dad's whole side of the family hunted avidly uh and there were some hunters in my mom's family as well but but dad was was very intense about it and you know brought sam and i up to be um hunting buddies and we were always more than excited to partake in that. So that was really my start, you know, like a lot of kids, dad hunted. Mm-hmm. Um, I think where my journey changed a little bit, you know, people would ask me, you know, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I've never had an answer for that. Honestly, I still don't. <laughs> um, and, but my answer has always been, I don't know what I want to do, but I want it to be around hunting. Mm-hmm. And uh, since I was a kid, that's been my answer. And I kind of made a college decision. Um, academics has always gone fine, but it, it's it's never been like the champion of my life. You know, mm-hmm. it's not a passion. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I can hold my own in a classroom. I'm not saying like <laughs> whatever. I don't right. know. I'm trying to say that. like I'm not a total idiot. But like school's <laughs> not my favorite. You know, so my choice in colleges was based on proximity to elk hunting. Yeah, uh, and I can say with total confidence that was it yeah. like i didn't have any other agenda other than where can i go to school where i'm close to elk and i can go elk hunting while i'm at school had you elk hunted up, up never before that you just never. knew that that's just something knew, you wanted to go do i needed to go to the mountains and chase elk yeah. it was just in there <laughs> um 
And I was thinking of going to Montana or Wyoming and Wyoming was less than half the cost, um, through some scholarships and different stuff. It was, it was like, I want to say like $700 more than going in state mm-hmm. for me to go to Wyoming. And so I was like, well, that's me. That's where I'm going. Wyoming. Yep. So I went to university of Wyoming. Uh, I was paired randomly, uh, maybe not totally randomly. I think we were, we had both written what our interests were. It was hunting, fishing, and athletics was mm-hmm. what we wrote on our roommate, um, uh, cards to be matched with a roommate. And I got paired with Tyler Matthews, who's, you know, now been a longtime business partner and, um, <laughs> hunting buddy for the last 20 years. Isn't that crazy? Really crazy. <laughs> but we showed up, uh, I, I drove in from South Dakota. He had, um, residents in Wyoming and I showed up, all his stuff was there, but he wasn't. Mm-hmm. And went through a couple of days and he drug himself in on Sunday night at about 9.30 p.m., covered in dirt, in camo, hiding his bow to haul it up into the dorm room because we weren't supposed to have him in there. <laughs> um, and he had been elk hunting all weekend, bow hunting elk all weekend. It was opening weekend. He had pulled a very coveted tag in Wyoming that we both wished that we could go back and do over again once we actually knew what we were doing. Yeah. Um, but he had been back from that. And I said, you know, my name's Josh. He said, his name's Tyler. And, and we explored the world in the wilds in a way that was incredibly fun Mm -hmm. and super adventurous. And neither one of us had really had a, an upbringing into elk hunting specifically and really the nuances of those animals in that sport. So it was he and I hacking it out, uh, having all of the motivation possible and none of the experience or knowledge of how to do it really, Mm -hmm. other than maybe what we read in some magazine articles and books, uh, hunt media was nothing at that point. This was 2002 and it's not like tremendously long ago, but it's long enough ago that resources weren't available like they are today on what in the world you should do and what you shouldn't. So our solution to that was physical punishment. We would wake up, hear bugles, scare elk, (laughs) and then basically do Tai Chi all day through the woods, still hunting, trying to come up on elk bedded. (laughs) Tai Chi. That's that was too basically perfect. it was but like it really Tai Chi is, in motion. It you know? is. I went from a 210 pound high school football player to a 170 pound back for Thanksgiving elk hunter. I lost 40 pounds in the first like three months of college. That's crazy. Uh, it was crazy. You know, going on Snickers bars and a couple bagels we stole from the college cafeteria <laughs> and donating plasma for gas money and like I'd won a coleman tent at my senior party that was our camp this was our journey into elk it was super super just bare bones grassroots two kids hacking it out in the wilderness of wyoming stuff mm-hmm. totally fun mm-hmm. sorry i sort of elaborated in my no, I love story that. here but it was just uh that was really my my big hooks into western big game Uh, Tyler did end up shooting a bull that year. I didn't have a tag. I didn't grab a tag my first year. Wanted to get the lay of the land. Um, He did shoot a bull that year, and we just hunted and fished and hardly passed our first year, but made it through um, to be able to go the second year. But pulled it back together second semester to come back. Uh, And then uh, I pulled a tag my sophomore year, third week of the season. Tyler called the bull in past me. I shot it at seven yards, full bugle. I was never the same. And the amount of uh, just energy that was there, um, 
I pulled back and I, I could hardly get myself to pull my bow. I was so fired up. This bull just leaned its head back to bugle. And I remember mentally saying to myself, pull the bow back. And I did. And I just swung and kind of like duck shot this thing basically. Cause I kind of came out of the wing shooting world growing up and it, but it was right. I mean, I, it was last quartering away, last rib front shoulder, you know, the shot you want. Mm-hmm. And the elk was dead on his feet on top of this logging road actually. And I, was so fired up it hadn't fallen down yet i was trying to rip another arrow in my quiver i stood up to chase the elk and tyler actually grabbed the backpack strap and threw me on the ground and this was like he's dead on his feet just <laughs> sit down you know so this bull ran off the road and died off in the trees we were a ways back but it was just uh it was quite a memorable moment oh yeah but then from then on absolutely obsessed yeah. uh with with that game and the bow hunting game and uh tyler and i had um sort of planned on um planned out this retail uh experience people have it because at the time there was not western big game hunting equipment it was hiking equipment camping equipment and hunting equipment and those worlds really had not meshed yet and so our idea at the time was to create an online company that would sell both hiking camp equipment alongside the hunt equipment Mm -hmm. and it could be one place you could go to get both Mm -hmm. um we thought that we were um, tapping into a market that already existed, and we just didn't realize that it wasn't even there yet. Mm-hmm. But but we we got to be a part of that, which was very cool. Um, and went went off from college and, and got jobs for a couple of years, and then ended up uh, coming back together in Fort Collins, and we started a. Uh, backcountry hunting store archery pro shop and we actually had a small gun counter as well um called gannett ridge hunting equipment and he and i ran that for 10 years but the biggest focus of that was all about the freelance guy that was picking up a bow and grabbing pack and, and some clothes and camping gear and heading up into the woods on their own to try to work out this western thing on their own without guides diy um, the diy guy yep yeah. that was the store and so it was a very cool meshing of those things. We had a website as well, but that really got us into the the archery world uh, way deeper. So you know, most of us, beca- both of us, became registered technicians and um, ran a very successful pro shop for a decade. Um, we started that when we were twenty seven, and did that till we were thirty seven. When we started it, neither one of us had kids. Um, you know, now we both have two, and. Uh, 10 years later, it was, it was time to do the next thing. But kind of what we did was we took that knowledge set of a decade of doing that professionally and owning and operating that shop, um, and put it into a, a 14 module course called Botoon School. And you know, basically gives people the opportunity to understand how to be an archery technician, mm-hmm. you know, and I can say with absolute honesty that what we present in that course is a just an A to Z organized way of taking a bow out of a box that's brand new, changing out the string if you want, mm-hmm. taking it all the way through broadhead tuned, uh, all of the accessory attachment, all the uh, different tuning that you're going to need to do um, in that course. And uh, it's certainly a lot more than we, a lot more training than we received when we went and did our course. It was a long weekend mm-hmm. um, with a bunch of other people in the room, and, and there's only so much material you can get through in that time. Mm-hmm. But we, uh, we, we really got the full spectrum of information that a person would need to kind of take a bow in the most linear way from new to totally tuned out, mm-hmm. be able to fix all the problems in the field that you may have, uh, 
but yeah, we are super excited to be teaming up with you guys and offering a, a code yeah. uh, to the end user. I don't know if this is the time we talk about the code or yeah, not. Yeah, throw it in there. Okay. But yeah, if you go uh, THP10, get you 10% off our course. We can even pop uh, that right there. Yeah. And uh, with that comes a pack press and starter. If you pay for the course in full and up front, comes with a pack press and a little starter archery tune kit. And it's honestly, you wouldn't want to start a pro shop with that equipment. <laughs> yeah. But but if it's your bow and you're doing your stuff, your family okay. stuff, it's absolutely everything you'd need to, with the training we provide in the course, everything you'd need to, to do that effectively. So, yeah. Well, and the reason that... Like, I don't know, months ago. I don't even remember what it was. Probably over half a year or up to a year ago when I was like, hey, Josh has got this bow tune school thing. We're talking about tuning your bow all the time. Like, it just makes total sense. And I I think that some of the things that helped me, like I've explained today, I guess, is there's been little things in the field, like when Sam tied my peep sight Mm -hmm. back in, that was something that, had I just known how to do it and not taken for granted all the things that I've had done at a actual shop before, then I would not have as many issues or my issues could be resolved much quicker or without making me lose time in the hunt. I think that it's just recently become more valuable for me to learn these things as I start to travel more and find myself like looking, you know, you look at the map and you're like, well, you know, I'm hours away from right. a, a bow shop. From anybody that's going to know what to do with that. Yeah. And in you, and the other part of it is too, and part of what makes us happy about offering this is, you know, a lot of times people don't get to do it like you and me. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's not a multi-state, multi-situation yes. year right. where you just, because professionally what we do, we get these opportunities. A lot of times it's it's a big deal. You know, it's one trip a year, maybe, yeah. or one trip a decade. Yeah. But if you know how to fix this little stuff and not waste a day of that eight day trip that you've been working that's, for five, 10 years to accomplish. About, yep. I mean, that's a big deal when you go, okay, this is a 15 minute delay yep. instead of a burned day yeah. of this experience that at times is once in a lifetime. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or it worse makes yet, sense to understand what you're looking at. It could be multiple days. If you're way back in hiked a day right. in and then you got to hike a day back out plus the drive time. I mean, there's all right. kinds of things that could make you in an instant lose a lot of time yeah. and, and time to actually get it fixed. But the other side of that is the confidence in the fact that you believe it's still going to operate yes. correctly yes. because you understand the mechanics of it mm-hmm. and you can just make that tweak and go, yes, that is correct. And I'm confident that I'm still going to hit my target. Oh, it's oh, it's worth a lot. Oh yeah, that's you know? about as valuable as it it's as it gets in hunting. Yeah. And I, I just think that as we've learned more about the little things and the little details and how much you can just tinker around with stuff, and we're promoting that with testing different broadheads and arrows and all this. To me, there's just so much that you can learn if you do something like the bow tune school, and it's all stuff that is going to ultimately make us better bow hunters, really. Yeah. I, I really do believe oh, that. Oh, 100%. Another thing that was interesting to me is uh, the perspective that I just had recently of uh, some friends that I met in Minnesota, Mitch and Tate. Yeah. They don't have a bow shop in their town. They have to do it themselves. And yeah. their their grandpa was, you know, a long time, like bow hunting, you know, way, way back. So, like, he had a lot of experience in those things and taught them a lot. But that's a perspective that 
you don't think about. It's like how far you'd actually have to go in some places that you'd live in. Yeah, it's Some it. places just don't have a bow shop. Right. I've taken it for granted my whole life, you know. Right. That's it. And just to be more honestly well-rounded and well-versed in your hunting skill set, you know. And I think that it's fun to be the buddy that knows what's going on. Oh, yeah. You know, if, and, and that's another part of it is being able to help your friends. Yes. As long as one of you in the group kind of knows what's up. You know, you can, you can aid your friend and save their hunt and do all these, you know, and kind of be that guy, you know, and that's kind of fun. Yes. You know, it's it and totally rewarding to be able to, to keep a buddy in the game, you know, and not have things be a big mountain, just a little molehill instead of a mountain. Yeah. You know, but yeah. Dude, I actually, this brings up a hilarious story that I don't think ever has been on any video or anything. And I have to tell it to yeah, you just because it. it's such a stupid, but somehow we made it work situation yeah. so we're way back in there elk hunting and yeah. my friend ben had a tag and it was like probably i mean we had hiked all day to get up to this point that we wanted to kind of focus in on i take this <laughs> i take this picture of him and he's holding his bow and he's so happy but he's flipping the bird to the camera just total you know one of those total joke situations where you're just goofing off with your buddy yeah the picture is hilarious because come to find out about 20 minutes later we walk down the hill and i look at his bow and his sight is just sheared off <laughs> just like completely perfectly broken off but but perfect like yeah. to the point where if we can find it, we might be able to just slap it on there. Wow. And I know it's, you know, you're looking, you're thinking about that. Like, how could it ever? But somehow yeah. it br broke right on a seam of some sort. Yep. And he luckily had his tracker on, on, on X. And we followed that silly little blue line right yep. back to where he fell. Not that silly that day. Not that silly <laughs> that day. And that's why, honestly, since yeah. then, I've started always yeah, running a tracker. Because yeah. he might find something lost Absolutely. which might be a big deal yep. and in this situation it was pretty much the biggest deal right you know and i remember him falling and we both remembered it at that and it was like that's yeah. probably when it happened mm -hmm. sure enough we go back there find it and that night at camp we sat there and took super glue that we had in our pack like a you know kind of an emergency type kit yeah. super glue and uh, electrical tape perfect and we got that puppy to where it was just smacked right up against that spot where it broke yeah we glued it and we taped it and then we just let it dry that night yeah and the next morning we went and shot and this is, this is where it went from bad to like oh no is it getting worse we go and take we had these little foam you know like the sleeping pads yeah but we had little sections cut out that we would sit on if we were glassing mm -hmm. or whatever or just eating lunch or whatever which is absolutely mandatory for backcountry hunting oh it's great you have to have some kind of pad like that it's, but you don't you don't think about it until you, you see somebody else and you're like wait yeah that is but maybe that a game one changer. bit of comfort it's a major mentality it changer it's also like the floor mat on my tent yeah so nice right but this day it was our archery target so we fold this thing up we took <laughs> these like extra straps that we had and we made it as solid as we could and put it up against an elk wallow <laughs> Okay. Elk wallows are pretty soft, right? Oh, yeah. Arrow just gone. <laughs> <laughs> so he goes from like four arrows yeah. to three. To and three it's just like, <gasps> whoop. <laughs> so it was like from bad to almost worse. And then we managed to figure that out, get in a more solid spot, shoot. 
and he shot however many arrows it took and we got that puppy sighted right back in nice believe it or not he used it the whole rest of the 2019 hunting season even into whitetail he Just never switched he never fixed <laughs> <laughs> it's like well it's solid now yeah and it's yeah. like but so that's not necessarily tuning but that's sure. just like my one most easily the most ridiculous story where something went wrong with the equipment and we somehow managed to just roll with it and make yeah. it work but get it to the point of finishing out an entire season to with the, the finish to the point of shooting a white tail with that same site and it's Not just bad. so hilarious yeah, that's but, great yeah i'm sure though like there's plenty of times where having your knowledge has helped you in situations certainly been multiple times with myself or somebody like, yeah let me see that and I just Tinker, fix it. whether yeah. it's just like a little stuff too you know fixing an angle on a peep uh a rest that got loose that you need to kind of get back and you know that kind of stuff but all those um, things are really like sometimes the most the little things are almost the most stressful because you're like well what if right like what if that messed something up yep and i think when you get the back end knowledge on it you understand you know and as you tinker you start to understand okay what's a huge issue and and then what's a small issue and and how much time do I need to give this? Let's say you have a loose rest, right? And I know that before before I learned how to work on stuff and, and did all that, a loose rest would have been a major mountain in my head. Mm-hmm. You know, would have been a big deal. Um, but if if it happened now, you know, it'd be like, dang it, you know. But at least I have an understanding of, okay, if it's off a little bit, what's the actual effect? What is is this gonna totally ruined my day or am I going to hit what I'm still aiming at, even if I'm just kind of close, you know, and, and those kind of educational type things that you can start to compartmentalize the, um, <laughs> just the priority yeah. of that. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's in itself helpful too. Yeah. Um, well, I, we, yeah. like we were talking about earlier about like aero flight and just for me, mm-hmm. sometimes that is something that I can't always get the answer from a bow shop. And I feel like as much as I value a bow shop Absolutely. as somebody that has yep. always went to one and, yep. you know, you find ones that you like and the people are, are good to yep. you, you know, and, keep with and that. And when you find them, don't, don't give them it up. You know, what, right. how much you know or not you know, keep, keep going back and supporting those Completely guys. Completely sure. agree. Yep. I think that's, that's a big part of what I want to keep doing moving forward is if I learn more, let's say I get to the point where I could work on my bow from, you know, start to finish and have no reason to ever go into a bow shop. I still think that it's important because if you find a place that you like and they, they treat you well, right. that goes a long way. And I think that that's an, that's a whole industry that could easily get forgotten, I suppose. Sure. But with that being said, there's certain things that I'll maybe get one answer one place, and then the next place, like let's say I'm in a different state or just a different shop, I get a different answer. And then it's like you get all these things rolling in your head or you, you watch a video on YouTube and you hear a different opinion yet, yeah. and you're just like, wait. Yeah. What even is going on? Like right. I have a million problems. Right. But I think knowing – all of the ways to 
tinker with things and have the confidence. That's a big part of it for me that I just don't really have. And therefore I'm dependent on somebody else to give me the answers. And I'm to that point now where I'm like, okay, I got to just do this, learn how to do this myself. Right. And then hopefully be able to help people better and help myself just answer the questions where like all of a sudden, like, why do I have this one arrow that's going weird? Well, now I know. Yep, exactly. And I guess with our course, what we tried to do was really do an A to Z process Mm -hmm. in the most efficient way possible, you know, that we through the years have deemed to be kind of our way. Mm -hmm. But through that, we try to display two or three different ways that it could be done, you Mm -hmm. know, and, and some, and if if you go through the course, you'll, you'll kind of understand what I'm talking about, but, um, there is more than one way to do it with archery in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And I think just, listening to what everybody has to say and then kind of making up your own mind, that old saying, yeah, yeah it's important because there's going to be certain things that maybe you're a little more anal about certain things. Maybe you're a little more lax about or yeah. some priority that you have in your mechanics with it that, that you want more of or less of or whatever. Uh, and that's why we all have our own things. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to say this person's right or this person's wrong, any of that, but there's certainly different ways to do it, but we try to, from what we gathered as the most efficient and accurate way to do it, we try to present that in an orderly fashion, you know, cause when you look it up on YouTube, especially sometimes the order of how that's presented doesn't actually add up, mm-hmm. you know, and like, well, what should you check first? If this is flying wrong, is it, is it cables? Is it rest? Is it my spine weight on my arrow? Is it what my hand, mm-hmm. you know, and we kind of try to flesh out and clear up through the fog. That jump like, ahead. First start here, yeah. then go there. Yes. You know, this is the route and this is, this is the result. Which I feel like I'm, um, I'm on that end of, I see the one thing and I jump straight into like, well, that's it. Like right. I'm sold on that. But then right. I look back on it and I'm like, well, it can't be that because that maybe has always been a thing. Like we were talking yeah. about the grip earlier. Right. I have a tendency to have the old pistol grip a little bit too much. Sure. And then somebody told me recently, well, we can't get your arrow flight right because you pistol grip too much. I'm like, well, that can't be true because I've had however many bows for however many years now. And and if you run into that again, Uh have them shoot your bow, Mm -hmm. say, okay, you shoot it Yep. and watch the arrow. Mm -hmm. And if it's flying perfect, well, then maybe it is you. <laughs> yeah, right, <laughs> and, right. And if it's still wonky, yep. well, it's the bow. Yeah, <laughs> you <yep>. know, <laughs> like you run it through paper and tell me. Yeah, you know, sure. uh, and that's that's not a bad way to sort of break through that piece of information. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk a little bit more, just because it's maybe my interest. So you know, the hunting side of things. Definitely, like I just want to talk hunting. I feel like is too good of an opportunity to not talk about it but like so when you first started elk hunting well one of the questions that i that actually came up when you were telling that initial story was do you think at times that when you reflect on the days that were those you know just wake up hear the bugle scare elk yeah do you think that that actually helped in the long run oh yeah just the the foolish mistakes that absolutely you think are foolish now that's actually probably my first piece of advice to anybody trying to get into elk hunting is go try to scare some yeah because then you're on them <laughs> you know don't tiptoe around don't 
don't be so cautious with this spot. And I think that if you're coming out of the, uh, the whitetail world into the Western hunting world, the caution that you have to take and, you know, I'm going to get ripped for this, like telling people to march through the woods, you know, (laughs) I get it. But when you're learning, you got to do it, you know, and even getting into new areas some days, there was a day that Sam and I were in mule deer country and, you know, it was brand new spot. And I looked at Sam and I went, how many deer you think we're going to scare today? (laughs) He said a lot. And I said, I know let's go, you know, and, but that's because you're probably not going to get one that day. Right. You know, you have to go learn it, Mm -hmm. you know, and you have to not be scared to go learn it. But yeah, for sure. Uh, in all that time of all that Tai Chi time, uh, we learn where elk sleep. I love that. We learn where they move. We learned how they move, what the trails were, where they wallowed, where they, what they do, how they, where they run to when they're scared. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there was a tremendous amount of learning that happened that year, Mm -hmm. you know, and then by year two, we were calling bulls in and shooting them, Mm -hmm. you know, but it, but it took a pretty foolhearted, super aggressive year of just getting after it and Mm -hmm. going to fail. Mm -hmm. Uh, that was a hugely critical part in the learning. Yes. hundred percent. I mean, there's, it's what what eventually turned us into what we're doing today. I like what you said about the whitetail coming from only hunting whitetails. Right. Because that's something that it's true for both of us. Yep. You know, hunt, hunt deer. Then all of a sudden you're tossed into this world of elk hunting and everything seems so grand. And at, at the time you, you mentioned not having, a lot of resources, but nowadays there's all these resources telling you how to call, how to call in the elk, how to do this and that, and how to do everything. Mm-hmm. But there's so much value in experience. But on top of that, too, I think thinking about how different the game really is, and maybe too for some and some people do this if your style is set up in, for whitetail you can also set up for whitetail like maybe calling them in or maybe like running yeah. a gun and isn't your style but well, and you will and i think too and just to add on to that briefly yeah. here once you learn an area and you really understand what's happening it can be incredibly effective to sit down yeah or to get a stand or mm-hmm. whatever but you you have to understand before that you have to understand what the movements are and, and how they're going across the country. Mm-hmm. But many of the most consistent Western guys I know are, they stay put, mm-hmm. you know, and you're most likely never going to be a trophy guy doing that. Mm-hmm. But if you're out to just get an elk, um, do more than do less, you yeah. know, kind of thing. Uh, but yeah, it can be incredibly effective, but continue. Well, yeah. I just, and, and that's where, you know, whitetail hunting and elk hunting are. There is a lot of similarity if you, have that style but i think yep. you get on youtube and you type in elk hunting what's going to come up born and raised Corey jacobson yep. maybe occasional thp video yep. what do you see you see guys ripping calls and being super aggressive with calls so then i think automatically which is a ton of fun it's a ton of fun <laughs> it's super fun yeah, like, the engagement like, is, absolutely, is absolutely a riot absolutely but yep. imagining a guy for example that only ever hunted in a tree stand mm-hmm and then just be like, yeah, here's a mountain bigger than anything you've ever even seen. Go try to call an elk in in that stuff. And if you've yeah. only ever hunted in a stand, yeah, like that's going to be different. And like your, to your point, if you don't go make the mistakes 
then it's going to be really hard to just have success doing that. You exactly. have to, you have to try and you have to fail and you have to push the limits a little bit. And, you know, if you're Tai Chi when you should just be bulldozing, right. Then it's going to be hard to get to that point. And I just yeah. think that that's going to be a common mistake for most people is they're going to start to tiptoe. And I, I talk to Hayden on the phone a fair amount Yeah, and I get to, you know, sometimes just rolling on a topic and all of a sudden I was going on and on about elk calling. It's like, I think it's so easy to think that you should call every elk in every situation. It should be that way. But at the end of the day too, man, if a bull's bugling, just cut the distance. That's right. Like just go to him. He's giving you his location every like five minutes, two minutes, whatever. I know a couple of pieces of information that helped me in making that transition. One was stop thinking about them like deer and go turkey hunting. Mm-hmm. You know, and that, that can be helpful is the mentality you go about it. Think of giant scale turkey hunting, Yeah. you know, and, and do it that way to start. And the other one is, is that you're no longer hunting a whitetail who's a, that's a habitual creature that's typically doing, has a house. He has a place that he eats in the kitchen. He's moving between these two points most of the time, certainly with exception, but mm-hmm. it's a, that's what that animal does. It's a loner to you're hunting a herd animal that's moving over the country. Everything's changing around it all the time. Mm-hmm. It's, it might have a cycle of, of places it's going, but it's, it's not a, an A to B situation. It's a roving herd animal that is changing its location based on resources available. Mm-hmm. And when you kind of change your methodology of thinking a bit to transition into that direction, you'll become a lot more successful. But I know that was a piece of information that hit me from somebody about year three of my journey into it. And it really changed the way I thought about it instantaneously and mm-hmm. helped me a lot. Yeah. But yeah. Um, I don't know. That's, I end up going there just cause I love it, but yeah. we don't have to talk about elk either. No, I mean, I know I love <laughs> Yeah, it's so it's hard not to talk about it, honestly. Sure, I, it gets I, in your blood. It certainly did mine. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I'm four years into it now. This past season was our fourth year doing it, and it's just crazy how much you learn and how much you look back on. You know, year one we were doing this one thing, and then yeah. year two maybe we did a little bit more, a little bit different, and then year three yeah. things change again, four change again, and it's just so interesting to look back on some of the things that that we do and I would always say and this is just my style so always you know take this for what it's worth I guess more aggressive is usually better for me at least I can't ever really look back on too many times and think man just really playing that one safe was really worthwhile sometimes it is you know sometimes you find that lights out spot and like you said you just there is a time and a place in all hunting whether it's whitetail turkey or elk that sometimes you just got to post up. Yep. Shut it down. But that being said, (laughs) it's like if if he's bugling out there, like that's just so funny to me. I look back and like, I used to just always want to call, bring him the whole way instead of just going to him and like cut that distance, then try to maneuver. And that, that's been kind of an, uh, the last couple of years, uh, thing that has changed for me a little bit is if I can, can keep cutting the distance without making noise, I'm going to do that until I need to make noise. Is that something that you feel like you agree with or, or have learned, or is it just a style thing? I think, I mean, certainly it's some style. Yeah. Uh, in, in the chess game works incredibly well for some people Mm -hmm. and a lot of people, I should Mm -hmm. say, 
Um, I think that, I think you and I are a lot alike in, in the parts of hunting we enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, when it's all just going strategically perfect, it's, I, I don't want to get like in trouble from people with saying it's a little mundane, but it, yeah. it feels a bit mundane. Yeah. Uh, I think the, the, the run and gun on the ground with the animal interaction bit to me, it, um, to kind of put it in like an athletic term, it's like a broken play, <laughs> you know, and you go from running the play to playing street backyard ball, yeah. you know, and, and like some people are really good at that, uh-huh. you know, and some people just aren't, you yeah. know, like it needs to be more framed. They mm-hmm. got to run the offense, you mm-hmm. know, um, I love broken plays. Love it. When it's QB. just. QB. Former QB. At, at a point. <laughs> but I love it when it's just like, uh, it all went to hell, you yeah. know, and, and you're, you have to perform mm-hmm. in that space. For me, it's, I'm never more focused. I'm never more excited. Uh, the world lines out and makes sense to me in those moments of, of pandemonium in a way, like it, mm-hmm. it feels intense around you. Yeah. It's actually just like you in the woods, yeah. you know, it's super quiet, <laughs> but it feels like so intense, you know, but, uh, to me, like that's the juice. Yeah. I love that part. And so, um, yeah, stalking anything, um, uh, being, calling in an interactive way with the animal and moving in and being aggressive and getting after it. That's certainly the, the part that I love. I just, it, the juice just goes way up for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also important to me. And I think you too, that, um, you want to, you want to succeed mm-hmm. and you want to improve and get better. Right. Mm-hmm. And in that space where, where the world is, is kind of feeling crazy and it's just you in what the choices you make and the motions you make to try to accomplish this goal. Um, there's just something really special in that. It's like a, a talent set that you have to work on and go through a whole bunch of broken plays, you know, to, to succeed often, Yeah. you know, but that skill set is a very important skill set. And I know that you love to do that yeah. kind of stuff too. And so I, I feel like you probably agree, you know, in, in that I've way, never but, thought about it that way though. I, cause but I a always, fluid thing. yeah, yep. I think about it often from a physical standpoint as in, I think that, it has replaced certain aspects of life that I'm missing now. I played sports similar to you and hunted when I was a kid. Sure. Hunting at that time when I played sports was more of just the relaxing. You go out, sit in the stand and let things come your way. But then when I was no longer playing sports, I had this time in my life where I was confused. How do I fulfill that again? Mm -hmm. How do I fulfill that playing in the heat of the moment, that that right. game, that super intense moment. How do I get that again? Yeah. And all of a sudden, you see a buck bedded and you make the stock and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, that was it. And everything goes... Yeah. And, and dude, there's so many times in my life where I can't remember what I was going over here to even pick up. But when I get in the zone and I'm on the prowl in that moment, mm-hmm. I'm never more focused. Nope. You can't everything break it. Everything slows down. You can't call it's, me. You can't text me. It's flow, it's flow state, you know, <laughs> yeah. is what it is. It, it puts you into that position where it's everything's so heightened. You just go into a different uh, form of thinking. You know, yeah. it's that beautiful space we all strive to do, no matter what it is. You yeah. surf or ski or hunt or, try to or get there. trying to, you know, 
rip a 45 inch northern on a big <laughs> yeah. streamer on a fly rod i mean there's a there's a different ways to you know yeah. get there through through sport and activity and pursuit but it's that just really super sweet spot but to your point too like there are a lot of people that want it to go down this way they, and that's they their visual. juice yeah which is which is super cool Absolutely. i just don't relate very well because yeah. i'm like i get i get bored yeah. you know i get to where i'm like okay like when when's this gonna happen or if i'm with somebody and we're filming you know yeah. if that's my total excuse to just chatter it up all right we're gonna sit here and talk for three <laughs> hours straight and then when the buck comes in i'm gonna be like oh, you know yep. have that happen yep but i just think what you said about the broken play yeah. is is really cool because all of a sudden, you know, you have to make this decision and sometimes it's just not, uh, there's not a right or wrong answer. No. It's just instinct. It's all super organic and, and it just has to kind of lay out. How did you ever start hunting that way? Because you just told me that you, the first whitetail you killed out of a tree stand was what, three years ago? Yeah, yeah. So I guess that's something that interests me. I want to dive into that a right. little. Part of it's just, um, I grew up in South Dakota. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah so there's, there's like options, options for stands. Macy. Oh, no, you're all right. Goodness. You can be a star. Yep. Have a sit. You know, I can lick that ice bag for a little bit. <laughs> it's always made more sense to me for me to be mobile. Mm -hmm. um, there's always a cut bank. There's always a big bush to hide behind. There's always a giant cottonwood tree to, to draw behind. There's always something, you know, and I, um, I'm not scared of heights or anything like that. So that's not my reason. I'm not a ground guy. Cause I don't like being mm -hmm. in a tree. I don't mind being in a tree. It's fine. Uh, I guess I just always felt like I was always more effective mm -hmm. for some reason Yeah, at ground level. For me, a lot of it was relearning things in a different way, but then also it just was so much more fun all of a sudden where like. At first, I didn't think I would have more success, mm -hmm. but ultimately that was the case. But I think a lot of it was just to start, like it was more fun for me Yeah. where my uh, weird lack of focus that just constantly is going on to just be like, yeah, dude, just sit there and don't move. Like if you know me, you know, even if you spend like 20 yeah. minutes with me, you probably are like, oh yeah, I'm trying to get that guy to sit in this stand and not move <laughs> or talk, right. you know, again, with somebody else, it's, it's really hard in the heat of the moment. You know, if I know something's coming, yeah, I can sit still really well, but I have to get to that point where I'm yep, engaged. Yeah. Yep. And I just think that when I was younger, as in college time frame, this is where this really started to, to take shape is I like turkey hunting. Like, mm -hmm. how do I like this so much? And how do I like it now all of a sudden that I'm doing it more? Yeah. Because when I was young, I played baseball and I only would get a few weekends out of the year to turkey hunt. And I did as much as I possibly could, but right. it was limited to weekends. And uh, all of a sudden I'm doing that a ton and I'm loving it. And it's like, why don't I love deer hunting as much as i love turkey like i love it but it's not the same there's turkey hunting's here deer hunting's more just something i was doing sure looking back on it because i loved hunting but i didn't love it in the same way engaged in that game like that mm -hmm. yeah yeah and then all of a sudden i started doing it and it's like then i'm fulfilled now i like deer deer turkey elk pronghorn whatever that's if, if it's hunting yeah. and i can move which i can right i love it that's it yeah yeah and it's funny too how as you uh, continue on and get older, you know, you start to flesh out 
a little uh, tighter, those joy moments. Like what is really taking you into this mm-hmm. and creating that motivation? And, mm-hmm. and then you start to curtail your time out there to that need. Um, but it's, it's sort of, it's so funny how it evolves, you yeah. know, and I know when I was younger, I was just basically insulted that anything had a heartbeat anywhere near me. Like, <laughs> I just was, that was a problem. Yeah. You know, like I had to hunt it all, all the time. Yeah. I was so inner driven to, to, to hunt and acquire stuff. Mm-hmm. I was, it was just a unstoppable obsession I had to fulfill in some way. Um, which I look back at now and I was like, ah, oh, that guy was super scary. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but like as time goes on and all of a sudden that just inner fire just to get the animal yeah. is not there anymore. Yep. You know, it, it's, and for a while I went, am I losing it? You know, like am I, um, what's wrong with me? Yeah. You know, almost. Yeah. And then I went, no, it's, it's actually probably healthy that you don't feel like that anymore because yeah. we're all about nuts from, time or 17 to 28 you yeah. know? and or 13 or whatever it is <laughs> yeah. but uh, you know it just but that really allowed me to start to establish what actually the joy moments were and what appreciated it and i think you know your style change and in, in kind of having that epiphany i think it's in that process right like mm-hmm. what's the what's the special part you yeah. know and it, anymore for me it's if i'm not forwarding a personal relationship with a friend or spending time with family or exploring somewhere new. I don't really even need it. Yeah. You know, I still yeah. love it. Yeah. It's just, uh, it's a really different time out there now, mm-hmm. but I think that's just age. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. I was talking to Mark Kenyon on a podcast who were Mark, if you're listening to this, yeah. we're using your book right now yeah. as a stand. It's my copy. Really yeah. enjoyed it, Mark. <laughs> so, you know, yep. But he said, we're all on a journey in hunting, and that's such a great way to look at it. We're all, every year, going through something different. There's another thing that we're learning about ourselves, our style. Mm-hmm. And I think, I find myself talking about this ground hunting thing often, and I never want people to think that I believe that's the way you have to do it. This no. Exactly what I'm saying is, find whatever makes you have that really intense focus or whatever does it, whatever checks the boxes for you. Yeah. And it's going to look different for all of us. And that's really cool. Yep. We're not all doing the same thing out there. Uh, We all have different backgrounds and experience as to how we go about it. And I, you know, whatever, it's been talked about a lot. The, the, you know, let's not attack each other. Right. Right. Don't shoot holes in the boat, you know, <laughs> but, uh, it was like, I used to, I, I had a massive problem with, uh, feeders, you know, um, for anything. And then I went to South Texas on a javelina hunt Yep. and I went, Oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, when the prickly pear is up to your nipples and then yeah. the, the mesquite starts above that is like, Oh, you know, you, that's it. Like this, this is the only way to go. And so my, my perception of that completely changed, you know, based on, on your region of the country, you cannot judge that kind of stuff right. until you get down there with those people and yeah. have, you know, and I'm not saying this exclusively with feeders. I mean, right. there's a hundred different things you could throw darts at if you felt like it mm-hmm. hunting on the ground for whitetail, yeah. you know, a lot of people have an issue with that, yeah. you know, or 
you know, I don't know, stand hunting for elk. I have no idea, yeah, but right? whatever the, the change is from the normal, whatever normal is, you until you go experience that hunt in that place within that environmental space for that particular species, I don't think you can cast judgment on anything. No. And that's one of the things that is so valuable about traveling around is you get to experience those things right? and you can say, okay, now this, th- these things make a little bit more sense where right. prior to that, it's so easy to be like, well, Oh, that's not hunting. That's uh-oh. just, that's cheating. Yeah. Like, well, I wouldn't do it that way. Well, you well, might not. We don't have to. That's yeah, the other right thing. Right. You know? It's like, hey, yeah, do it how you want, man. Well, and I think when you look at it, like the norm, so, so, so many things with hunting, there is a normal way to do it. Yeah. And I use the reference of, you know, typing in elk hunting earlier. You type that in, you're going to see a pretty like one way of doing it type yeah. of deal. Yeah. But like, I like to just take those things. And this is also something that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. I just like to like, I don't want to do that at all. Yep. I don't want to do that. And that's how I also started my tail hunting off the ground is, well, I don't want to listen to the rules anymore. I don't want to like look. Hmm. I don't want to look at the barometric pressure and decide that this is the day I'm going to go in October. You right. know, like uh, I just want to go hunting. Yeah. I just yeah. want to see it and go get it. Right. And try it. And if I fail, then what? Then I just don't do those little details. I'd switch things up next time. Usually but. can't get them from the couch, right. so <laughs> right. you might as well be out there in the woods. Yeah. 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 Unless, you know, you're in one of those spots where you can get one from the couch. I mean, that exists, uh, <laughs> but not where I'm at, you know. Tell me some stories of a really memorable hunt and something that, you know, is special to you. There, I'm sure there's plenty of them, but something that just jumps out as far as, I don't know, it can be elk, it can be deer, it can be anything. I just like hunting stories. Yeah, yeah. Um, so one one story that I think is kind of funny was a, a pretty good mule deer that I killed. <laughs> Uh, a few years back and it was uh, Tyler and I were together. We had planned to hunt for seven days, I think, and day five rolled around and things at home needed to get attended to and it rushed us. Um, and we had spotted this deer that was, we had seen him and actually Sam, Sam was with us too. And he had spotted the buck. We were about three, three miles from it through a spotter. We had no idea what his horns looked like, but we just knew like he's got a big body and, mm-hmm. He's certainly a buck worth going after, and we hadn't really found anything else. But to get to him, we had to mountain bike two and a half, three and a half miles, Jeez. and then hike two. And this is last evening. Either we get him or we go home. Really? Never been in the area at all, you know. And I didn't have any time to set up on this deer. There was no, we kind of knew where he was. We figured he was on this bed at the bottom of his face. So we bike in and we go down this, and it's kind of a, uh, a lot of cliffed out stuff in this area and whatever. And at one point, Tyler went out in front of me and was going down this ridge line. And I just remember he got out to the spot where he couldn't really turn around. Like gravity was taking him off this cliff. And he turns around and he looks at me and he just shakes his head like, nope. Don't do that. <laughs> he just disappears from sight, you know, sliding. And like, all right. And so then I find this other way around and I meet him at the bottom and he's like, oh my God. He's like, that was so intense. I was like, yeah, I wasn't sure what I was going to find down here. Like you in a pile or yeah. whatever. And, but he's like, yeah, he's like the hardest part was he lost a, a tripod on the back of his pack for the spotter. And one of the, one of the, uh, legs loosened up. And so he's 
like hugging this cliff, basically, of sediment, sliding down this 100-foot drop with this leg <laughs> coming out of the tripod, trying to kick him off the yeah, hill. Yeah, I was going to say, know? probably trying to get into his bike spokes, And too. so, like, this is the approach, right? And we, we meet back up, and we get there, and I throw on some sneaky feet, and I put a slammed a heads-up mule deer doe decoy in the front of my bow. And, uh, you know, we kind of get in there and, and Tyler goes, well, what's your plan? You know, I'm going to walk in there like I own the place and I shoot this sucker. And do you know he's bedded at this point or do you have a pinpoint on him or figured he was in this bottom? Just yeah. I know a, he's in a, it was a great vicinity. big shady spot. It's, it's the last place we saw him at the, about the time they bed. I mean, all signs pointed to this deer's here, but had we laid eyes on him? No. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I, I go creeping in and what's his, what's his reaction to you saying that? Is he like, it's like another day yeah, at the dude. office, yeah. you know, he knows me. Like, <laughs> you know, I, it was what I remember of it. It's like, okay. I mean, probably what he was thinking was, well, this is going to end quick and then we'll walk <laughs> back, you know, after almost dying, coming down this cliff, he probably figures it's going to go bugger this thing up. And, um, What's your confidence level at this point? Hundred percent, I was going to kill this buck. That's you, the only you thing. Really, in my head. You really were like dead. You, I just you knew that it was, was my. Menta- I didn't know anything, but that's how I went into it. Yeah, it's like well, I just that's full confidence. Yeah. I'm going to make this happen. Yeah. Uh, if he's in range, I'm going to get him. And mm-hmm. you know, ninety percent of the time, that's not how it goes. Right. <laughs> you know? But that's how that's yeah, how re- I feel the approach should be. The reason I ask, yeah, is because I think if you don't have that mentality, then you're yeah. It's a lot harder to pull off. I was going to proceed with that mentality until forced to think otherwise, you know, with the deer running away with his tail up and me screwed. But, uh, so went in this little pocket and I peeked over one, uh, little hill and I saw the deer that he was with. Uh, there was, there was two deer when we were glassing them. This was very much the smaller one, um, that I kind of bumped a little bit and, and then I looked up and I just saw that big guy, his butt kind of going out around a, a corner. Um, and I just took off running backwards and I ran um, sort of along this this uh, grassy hill and then up the hill to the top because I knew he was just going to try to drain out this little top. Because you think he's escaping at this point. Yeah. Like he knows like he something's up, but he doesn't know it's exactly. you. He didn't know it was me, you know. And so I get to the top of the hill and I just remember consciously thinking, trust your rangefinder and trust your pins and take the shot. You know, that's, I kind of said that to myself as I came over the top of this hill and I had my rangefinder up and I pinged him. And he was, he was just doing the movie thought and you just yeah. perfectly cut him off. He was there and cut him off. Um, it was a poke, mm-hmm. uh, but I trusted everything and I just dialed the sight, pulled the bow, fired the arrow waited and it hit (laughs) and and i knew like as soon as i couldn't tell exactly where i'd hit him but you know when you know yeah you know and and i knew that he was done Mm -hmm. and he went blowing around uh this hill like a like a deer that's going to go down Mm -hmm. and he made it around one corner and piled up in this uh drainage and um it was just a special hunt at that point you probably didn't even really know what he was didn't i knew he was i knew he was a good one yeah but i didn't realize that that he was a really good one yeah (laughs) yeah uh biggest one to date uh for me but yeah it was um it was a super special just moment in time 
uh, with with Tyler and I, and and it was a hunt that I like. You yeah. know, it was it was super way in there on a hope and a prayer. Uh, just went for it and didn't say no. Said yes to everything and just did my best in the moment, and it all worked. Yeah. But that was that was a cool a cool time. Um, definitely check cool the in. boxes of what you want. Exactly, but you know it's that that sunsetting with uh, the rack on the pack and, you know, towards the end of the pack out and then bike out, um, mm-hmm. you know, headlamps and stuff and just uh, absolute dog tired when you get back to the truck. Um, levels two type fun day. Yeah. You know, and, and with the forced time actually, you know, uh, truncating the timetable of the entire hunt was what triggered that, um, necessity to just go completely full commitment on this deal and kind of like what we talked off. about yeah it's that if something starts to go wrong sometimes yeah sometimes that's if, the catalyst to yeah, success it's crazy it is funny how sometimes we don't always have the confidence or whatever until something goes wrong and then it's like hey it's all or nothing right now we gotta right. do this right now yeah it's just zero space for saying no. Mm-hmm. Yep. What do you, what are some of the things that you feel like are major takeaways from it as far as other than that? I, th- I, I guess. think that like, uh, maybe don't pay so much attention to the timetable. Yeah. You know, like just your answer has to be, let's go. Yeah. You know, I think in most instances Yeah. with it, um, and try, mm-hmm. you know, because whether you, whether you win or whether you lose, you're going to learn, you know, <laughs> exactly. And the next time you're going to be better. Yeah. Yep. I, I find it interesting because there's some people that stalk and this is kind of brings up maybe a question for you too. There's some people that stalk that I hear them say, I want to watch something multiple days. Mm-hmm. I want to watch this, but I'm going to find him which may take a couple of days, but then I'm going to watch him for another day, two, three, until he's in this perfect spot. And a lot of people are really successful doing that. So it's obviously a super good strategy. Yep. I've never done it. Yep. You know, like that's never been a thing that I do in a stock, not to say that I won't. And I kind of, I kind of tried it one time when I was hunting mule deer on a buck that I blew a couple stocks on that I've, think that I thought that the time was right and I still made some mistakes, learned from those mistakes. We won't necessarily dive into that right now, but I made the mistakes. But other times that I've had success, it's like, there he is right now. I'm going to make anything work because I got to get there for yeah. whatever reason. Yep. I, I think that style works too. Yeah. I, yeah. I think one of, one of the most fun ones, you know, nice thing about, about you is you get to watch all the stuff you do. Yeah, yeah. So the one, uh, the buck you killed in North Dakota mm-hmm. a few years back in that is it, it's all, is a cottonwood bottom. Is mm-hmm. that what's on there? And you just, you saw him from the thing and you went get over here and you just mm-hmm. went down and got after it and having that buck totally aware that something was up and you just in that moment making the play and you scored, you yeah. know, and it was, but that was, I watched that, watched that hunt and, you know, your knees clacking together and at the end and, and all of it. And I went, yeah, man, that's, that's the same, that's the same juice. You yeah, know? <laughs> yeah. and, it, and it's a moment of, uh, 
because you had been in that scenario many times before that you understood how you had to draw and when you needed to take that shot and, and how you couldn't wait. I think you mentioned a different deer in some other state that you had, had, had experience with. And you knew that once his head turned, mm -hmm. that was the release point and mm -hmm. understanding that flow, this is all skill set stuff. Yeah. And it was very cool to watch that hunt transpire. Cause I feel like what was, what you were so fired up about in that scenario is exactly what my, it just parallels <laughs> The total juice moment for me too is was is that type of thing where it's not calculated. Yeah, it's it's just happening, mm -hmm. and you're doing your dangest to yeah. make it work, right? Yeah, um, yeah. That was that was I, really fun to watch. Yeah, but. that's that's one of my favorite ones, and I feel like the thing that I always try to tell people or friends when I'm talking about that story is there was something just definite about that. Mm -hmm. Like I purposely in the video, and if anybody ever watches it again i purposely left this breath in the video on my mic because it was a it was a moment for me that was like yeah this is you're gonna get him like in that moment there was so many thing things just like cleared out of my brain kill this buck yeah that's it and him doing that i put it in there me it means nothing to a viewer sure but it's it's something that's memorable for yeah, me is that moment of yeah. like, clear your mind, go get him. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Which is fun to sneak that stuff in, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, totally. Cool. And I mean, I can go back and watch that when I'm, you know, hopefully when I'm, you know, decades older than I am now and be yeah. like, Hey, that was a pretty cool moment. It makes me feel something to this day to think about it. You know, like yeah. that moment, how special that moment really was. And it, it just, it, it, yeah, I don't know. To me, it, it checked the boxes. Yeah, that's you know? it. Yeah. <laughs> the stuff that you value, that that wow period. That's yeah. it. That's cool. Well, I think we ought to wrap up. Okay. We, you know, every people are getting home. We don't want them to have to be too quiet. Yeah, so yeah. We'll, we'll wrap this up. Been and fun. Honestly, for those watching, check out Bowtoon School and also Public Land Tees. If you haven't yeah. picked up on it, this is Sam Soholt's brother. Yeah. And they do Public Land Tees. We do. I guess yep. give that a plug here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, Sam and I started Public Land Tees a few years back now. And uh, basically, it's a lifestyle hunting company. So shirts and, and hoodies and that kind of stuff. But um, five bucks from everything we've ever sold has gone back to public land access and habitat enhancement. So yeah, go check out. That's a sweet. Check out that. It's been That's a lot of so fun. Cool. We've been able to be a part of some real worthwhile projects. Yeah. and um, are always looking for earmark projects within conservation organizations to forward our opportunities as hunters and, and give us more ground to tromp over and, and better ground, you know, yeah. quite frankly, to tromp over. Yeah, so for sure to have more of these moments, moments. <laughs> 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 a, yep. but, uh, that we all just love in our own way. So yeah, yeah uh, for sure. But well, yeah. And thanks for helping us out and everything. And I think we're going to have to do some more podcasting in the future. Josh and I just have too good of conversations just yeah. about things that I really enjoy. So yeah. I guess whether or not y'all like it or not, we're I, having a good time. Yeah. So, you know, hopefully it <laughs> translates. <laughs> Thanks for watching and listening everybody. We'll catch you on the next one.